uh, More Beautiful Faith. This series, uh, we're going to do one more week next week. Um, I'm going to do the best I can to close it up. And if I can't, well, oh well. Because um, we're getting into Easter soon. And so I want to make sure we take some weeks to process the story of Easter instead of just quickly doing it on that weekend. Um, but I want to begin with a, a thought uh, from Richard Murray that I came across this week. He has a picture of a, a door with tons of graffiti on it. And he says, God becomes so stunningly attractive when we wash away all the graffiti, which our wrong ideas about him have spray-painted over his image. This is not a, a reflection on graffiti. Graffiti is art. But sometimes we have odd concepts of God that we spray on him, and that's all we see, our misconceptions of who God is. And so I thought, I thought that was a good thought provoker. This is from Henry Nouwen, and this fits this series. Jesus is God who suffers with us. Again, this is about unpacking misconceptions and finding a better, more hope-filled lens on who Jesus really is. I love this one. God sent Jesus to make free persons of us. He has chosen compassion as the way to freedom. Ooh, that's good. That is a great deal more radical than you might at first imagine. It means that God wanted to liberate us, not by removing suffering from us, but by sharing it with us. Jesus is God who suffers with us. I'm going to read that again. Jesus is God who suffers with us. Over time, the word sympathizing has become a somewhat feeble way of expressing the reality of suffering with someone. Nowadays, when someone says, I have sympathy for you, it has a rather distant ring about it. The feeling, at least for me, is of someone looking down from above. The word's original meaning of suffering together with someone has been partly lost. That's why I've opted for the word compassion. It's warmer, more intimate, and closer. It's taking part in the suffering of the other, being totally a fellow human being in suffering. Jesus is the revelation of God's unending, unconditional love for us human beings. Everything that Jesus has done, said, and undergone is meant to show us that the love we most long for is given to us by God, not because we deserved it, but because God is a God of love. I know this is kind of heavy, but pablum, I'm tired of. I'm tired of the simple stuff. It's, it's time to go deeper when we need to. And sometimes repetition of the same old stuff can really cause us to forget because we'll finish the sentences of people's thoughts. Not that that ever happens in relationships. <clears throat> But in, when it comes to theology and what we believe about God, we can go through the ritual. And by the way, liturgy is helpful. It sometimes is a place of comfort for those who want a repetition. But sometimes the repetition doesn't have meaning for everybody. It may be for some, but not everybody in the room. Therefore, 
this concept of going deeper matters. So this whole more, more beautiful faith, unlearning, revisiting, questioning, and growing, and part of that questioning and growing is unpacking who we think God is and, and kind of taking out the misconceptions and revisiting what Scripture says about who God truly is. Everyone lives their lives based on their concept of who they think God is. It's very subjective. And yet, we, we've been given incredible depth and imagery in the scriptures to show us who God truly is. So far, we've covered this, more hope-filled and better concepts of God. He's happy, embracing, and dancing over us. He's just crazy about you. Another one, he's welcoming, accepting, and affirming which is different than what some people in the world feel, that God is, you know, staring down over his big, you know, um, judgmental counter, and, you know, he's distant, and he's way up there. But he's welcoming. He's gracious and gentle. He's rich in mercy. And the mo- my favorite one, he's not distant from anyone, which will be our topic today. We cannot be in We cannot not be in the presence of God. Richard Rohr says that, and there are some other memes that allude to that. In fact, um, I I commented on a meme. I got to learn not to do that too much. Um, But I I, uh, commented on a meme uh, yesterday, and something to the effect, uh, I I can't remember the exact wording, but it was, uh, you're going to be permanently separated from God uh, in your mind uh, if you don't believe, or forever, eternally separated. And... I wrote down, separation is an illusion because it's in our minds that we're separate. Because what I want to cover today is show you what Scripture says about how we are not separated. In fact, last week we kind of talked through the you know, four spiritual laws and, and how that's been a setup for us to believe this concept of separation. In fact, Baxter Kruger, if you know that name, one of his predominant themes in all stuff that he teaches I think in one, one um, conference, he said there's two sequoia trees blocking a dam. Sequoias are the super, super big ones. And one of them is called separation. And that log has to be removed. And there's another one. I forget which one it was. But this whole idea of separation and, and us versus them or God is distant, we got to unpack it and visit texts in the scriptures we may not have seen before or connected to this idea of distancing. We've got lots of texts that say, your sin separates you from God. And there's lots of that, and we can, you can see them. But my goodness, we unpacked that last week, so I'm not going to repeat all that. I want to read from Steve McVeigh's 101 Lies, and this is a good one. Uh, lie 59, your sins alienate you from your Heavenly Father. He, he did 101 Lies years ago and wrote a book called 52 Lies, heard in church every Sunday. But this one is a biggie. I'm going to read it to you. Your sins alienate you from your Heavenly Father is a lie. It's often taught that when we commit sins, that somehow we separate ourselves from God. And that he's out there and we're here. And our sins have now put a barrier between us and him. I grew up with this. Let me tell you something that can never happen to you. The finished work of the cross, the final work of Jesus Christ, has dealt with your sins once and for all. Your sins or nothing that exists can ever alienate you from God again. The Bible teaches that we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Hence, Easter coming up is going to be pretty celebratory. It's because of his finished work that we are one with him now. And nothing is ever going to change that. Romans 8.38, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Pause. Count to three. One. Two, three, which is in Christ Jesus. Another translation says, which is revealed in Christ. Nothing can separate us from God. So don't tell me we're separated. Because it just bluntly says we're, you can't. Nothing, no thing. Your sins do not separate you or alienate you from your heavenly father. You are one with him. And your sins have been dealt with in totality at the cross. The enemy uses the idea that your sins separate you to try to cause you to feel estranged from the Lord so that you won't focus your attention and redirect your energies back towards him again. Don't fall for that lie. It's a lie that your sins separate you from your heavenly father. The truth is nothing can ever cause you to be alienated from God. And I know when we, in our science school programs, the, the parents and teachers that teach, they all know this. So stuff comes up in curriculum, they correct the language. To me, this is one of the most important topics in our growth and how we understand who God is. And our children need to not be afraid. So this idea that God's not distant here we go. He's dwelling in us. So if God's dwelling in us, how, how can God be distant? Huh. Let's see if by the time we're done today, a case will have been made for all of us that there is no separation. 2 Corinthians 6.16. What friendship does God's temple have with demons? For indeed we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will make my home in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Huh. Oops. So, yeah, so this next one is you are near. So the idea of the temple, by the way, I'm going to go back to this house thing. Do you remember Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you? Places, rooms. Remember that text? You're the place. Do you ever think of that? What if you are the house? Many rooms. You are one of the rooms. <laughs> he was thinking of you at the cross. It's beautiful. Ephesians 2, Passion Translation, verses 11 and 12. So don't forget that you were not born as Jews and were uncircumcised. Circumcision itself is just a work of man's hands. You had none of the Jewish covenants and laws. You were foreigners to Israel, incredible, in, foreigners to Israel's incredible heritage. You were without the covenants and prophetic promises of the Messiah, the promised hope, and without God. Yet, look at you now. So all this is what people tend to focus on. See, you're not part of it. You're out, us versus them. And then it says, yet, look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, now you have been brought delightfully close to him through the sacred blood of Jesus. 
We just heard that in the previous text from Romans. You have actually been, ooh, look at that, united to Christ. I think that's pretty near, don't you think? United to Christ. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ. By dying as our sacrifice, he has broken down every wall of prejudice that separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. This is like serious oneness. Can you imagine seeing other people differently when you start to get into this? You go, wait a minute. I grew up believing we need to go save the world. It's our job to go witness and evangelize, and it's up to us. Because if we don't do it, oh my goodness, their, their souls are on, you know, their blood's on our hands, and all that guilt trip shaming. But this is different and better. And now we're more free to reveal and have a conversation with people without having an ulterior motive. Ephesians 2, verse 15. Ethnic hatred has been dissolved by the crucifixion of his precious body on the cross. The legal code that stood condemning every one of us has now been repealed by his command. His triune essence has made, has made, has made, past tense, has made peace between us by starting over, forming one new race of humanity. Jews, non-Jews, fused together. There is no us versus them in the entire world. All people groups. You poke a person, they're going to bleed red. <laughs> we are one. This, this is a very powerful passage. Ephesians 2, read it in multiple translations. But to me, it screams of this oneness that we don't talk about enough. Because most of our arguments that we end up having are about us versus them, us looking down on somebody, forcing them to look up at us, being more right than someone else, wrong tree, remember? Tree of right and wrong. That's where most of our fighting comes from. And if we could just choose to not engage in that, instead look at the life tree, which overflows with love, compassion, as we just read from Henry Nouwen. Let that be our language. I've not perfected it. But man, the more I read this, I want that to be a natural response. I want that to be the message of my soul. You're not distant. Romans 5.10. But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. So when did Jesus do all this? When did he die for us and make us one with him? While we didn't have a clue. That's really big. Because do you remember that four spiritual laws starts off with, you're sinful and separated from God. Ooh, yeah, that's really good news. No, 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 no. Try telling people that Jesus took care of everything while we were dead and blind. There is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. Oh my goodness, did you catch that? There is still much more to say. The scriptures are not the complete revelation of God. You are a continuation of the revelation of God. Hence the importance of relationships, to hear from one another, to hear individual lenses from young to older. Oh my goodness. Owen, you represent Jesus. You have the love of God coming out of you. It looks differently than your parents. 
You know, we need to hear from that. We need to hear from all of us, all ages. No one has it completely right. So the teachable, open conversations, yeah, we need a lot more of that. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration. A declaration means something that's done. You are now righteous in my sight. How many, it's almost like this is a new scripture. I've not seen this before like this. Romans 5, go back and read it yourself in multiple translations. <laughs> you have heard the powerful declaration. You are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. So if while we were still enemies, God fully reconciled us to himself through the death of his son. Did you hear that? While we were still enemies. And what's an enemy? Let me remind you. I can be angry with Dave, and I think he's an enemy. But he has no clue I'm angry, so we're, he thinks we're still friends. Like on his end, there's nothing. But once I realize that and suddenly I hear the love from Dave, going, what are you talking about? Suddenly, relationships restored. Enemy is, can be one-sided. It does not have to be two-sided. While we were enemies, God fully reconciled himself through the death of his son. God, Trinity, fully reconciled us through the death of his son. Then something greater than friendship is ours. Now that we are at peace with God, and because we share in his resurrection life, how much more we will be rescued from sin's dominion. Oh boy. Are you. Oh, it's so deep. Just ponder that for a minute. We have peace. We are at peace with God. You don't have to ask God for more peace. Ask God instead to reveal the peace that is in you. Oh, and look out. God's not distant. Separation is an illusion. He won't leave us. Even in the Old Testament it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. New Testament, Hebrews 13.5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. God does not do abandonment. And yet many believers feel God has abandoned them because of something they did. Or they have a shame about a past issue. Or somebody has projected something on them and they, they feel this distancing and that God's abandoned them. It's not true. God is working in us. So how can God be distant or how can we be separated from God if he's working in us? I love this. Now may the God of peace who brought up who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. This is God at work in us. 
he's the initiator, not us. Step out of the control seat for a minute. I, does, you know, the saying, you know, Jesus take the wheel, some country song. And then you see these memes of this guy in a race car and the front wheel falls off and he says, ah, oh, not that wheel. <laughs> this is about yielding and letting the peace of Christ guide our thinking, guide our actions. That has already begun in us. Acts 17, I love this. Uh, Paul is speaking on Mars Hill. Mars Hill is a temple made to all kinds of gods. Tons of statues all over the place. And there's one called the unknown God. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you about this one. I know this one. They tried to cover all their bases, tried to cover all the gods just to make sure everybody's, because they were into inclusion. So they had to make an extra one just in case for the ones we missed. (laughs) And Paul says this instead in front of everybody. Now, tell me who's, if you remember who's present, are they all Christians? No. In fact, most of them were not. They were just hearing about this for the first time. Acts 17, he says, for in him we live and move and exist, even as some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. This is bizarre. Acts, from the Passion Translation, says, he is the God who is easy to discover, or the God who is not far from each one. Ooh, I like, I like that. It is through him that we live and function and have our identity, just as your own poets have said. Paul's quoting two classical Greek writers from 270 B.C., Eretus, blah, 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 and blah, 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 him to Zeus. So this is, a, this is he's actually using Greek mythology. Like, how many churchy people would be so offended by that? <gasps> That's not the Bible. It's in the Bible. (laughs) There we go. Our lineage comes from him, or our nature comes from him, or translated from the Aramaic. And the Greek says we are his offspring. The Greek word is genos, which means kindred or family. So Paul is declaring we are all in Christ. There is only one source. So how is there separation? If anything, it's in your thinking. It is never actual or factual. It's never objective. I know some people don't like the subjective objective, but it works for me. Paul was saying that Jesus was in him before he believed. What? Where does it say that? Oh, funny you ask. Let me share with you. Galatians 1, 15, 16. But then God, God called me by his grace and in love. He chose me from my birth to be his. God's grace, listen carefully, unveiled his son in me so that I would proclaim him to the non-Jewish people of the world. After I had this encounter, I kept it a secret for some time and shared it with no one. Jesus didn't come and reveal himself externally to Paul, he spoke to him from the inside. And I've heard many, many individuals who have a revelation of Jesus, other cultures and countries, and in Canada. I've met people. You guys know one of the Red Shoot has a tremendous story on this, where a voice speaks from inside, not outside. And they respond to that and discover the living Christ. It's in me, he says. Ephesians 3 Uh, 14 to 20 from the Passion Translation says, So I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect Father of some children, nope, Father of every father and child in heaven and on earth, 
Oh, that's like what Paul was saying. We're all God's children. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods from your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released where? Deep inside. Deep inside you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Now, a rebuttal to this. I can hear people that don't agree with this. Oh, he's speaking to Christians. And I've used that argument. I have. But it doesn't say that anywhere. These are letters that were handed out. You, you can't make that claim because it's unsubstantiated. It's a projection. Because you have other people who see it now in the, from a different lens. So who's right and who's wrong? Oh, shoot, now we're fighting. So be careful with your, the pushiness of, of a dogmatic lens that says, no, he was speaking only to believers. And likewise, they're going to say, well, then don't you be so pushy to say he was speaking to everyone. That's great. Let the Holy Spirit figure that out. But you're mad at me because I said it's for everyone. <laughs> I'm, I'm into wider and deeper. I think the love of God is further spreading than we think. It's not contained in the little box that we've set up for ourselves in the system of churchianity. Verse 18, 19. Then you will be empowered to discover that every holy one experiences the great magnitude of astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. So to me, a previous lens of seeing only believers in that um, What's more? If it's expanding, what's, is there a chance it could be more? What if it is more? Now we're dealing with everyone. What if God is actually better than we were told? What if his love is farther reaching than we have been told? What if? Would that make you more a loving person or a jerk? I guarantee you it'll make you a more loving person. I'm going to go with loving. Ephesians 3 Never doubt God's mighty power at work. Where? In you. And accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. We can come up with man-made dreams and wisdom, but any God-inspired dream, and sometimes we don't know the difference, he's at work in these. Even if it leads us to a crash of, what? This totally didn't work out. Yeah, but you may have been prepared for something because something more is coming that you would not have been ready for. I don't know how it works. That was a whole message on the will of God. What is it? <laughs> but this is still true. The work of God is in you. Therefore, there is no separation. We're going to close with this text. And this is, this is like one of the clinchers, clobber ones of wow. I love, love this. It's filled with excessive richness. I'm making a powerful case in favor of there being no distance from anyone. 
listen carefully, as the illusion of separation is dispelled in just this text alone. Colossians 1. Are you ready? I'm not making this up. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Pause there for a minute. This is the same start as the book of John. Same start declaring who the author of creation is. Pretty powerful. Everything was created in the heavenly realms and on earth. Where? Heavenly realms and on earth. Everything was created. He made the things we can see, oh, and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him, Jesus, and for him, Jesus. He existed before anything else. And listen to this. He holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church. I'm going to go back because I don't want to. This verse 17, memorize this. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Let's, what could this mean? The chair you're sitting on, he holds that together. The TV you're watching from or the computer, all the molecules are being held together by Christ. You physically are being held together by Christ. If anything created, everything, every particle, universe, you name it. So let's, I'm going to do a rabbit trail for just a millisecond. You know this concept of hell? That people have this eternal conscious torment, burning lake of fire of, uh-oh, you're in real trouble? And they say it's the absence of God? How is that possible if he created it? Which I don't think he did. Okay, just think, they can't be reconciled. There's no place God isn't. Anyway, that's a fun rabbit trail. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. That means all of creation, everything. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Imagine if we lived like this was true in our world. How much more careful would we be in our world, our earth? Oh, like it makes sense now. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Right there is the revelation. Thoughts and actions is what separated us in our minds, not actual. Your molecules are still being held together. The light of Christ still shines through. We're going to cover that next week. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Oh, and listen to this. Here we go. You are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Now, we can look at each other and go, yeah, but I see the faults of all kinds of people around me. <laughs> listen, that's your human judgmental system, looking at faults. Look at the Christ in the other people instead. Suddenly the faults will 
kind of what dissolve? What? How is that possible? By staring into the eyes of Christ. You are holy and blameless, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. People do drift away. And what will they do? They will then move into a fault-finding system. Blaming, arguments, anger, darkness will come. They can't see the light that is already in them. That's why he's saying don't drift away from it. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. But now it has been revealed to God's people. Here it is. For God wanted them to know the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Here it is. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. This is one of my favorite verses. Christ in you. I know Hope Fellowship began with a a launch from Jeremiah 2911, is that it? Something like that. I can't remember which one it is. You know, I'm here to give you a future and a hope. Don't be afraid. Well, that's a nice old covenant. This is the conclusion of it. Jeremiah didn't see this coming, although he might have seen the hope of it or whatever was revealed to him. But this is the conclusion. This is the second half of that revelation. Christ lives in us. So we tell others about Christ. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us, we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. Ooh, I like that. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. This is a more beautiful gospel. This is a more beautiful faith. That it has been done. You can't jump in and out of acceptance with God. You can't jump in and out of closeness or being loved or holy, unholy. You're just not that powerful. That's a big thing to ponder. I hope you'll take this to heart. I hope it makes sense. Go and reread those scriptures yourself so the Holy Spirit confirms it's not just some guy in Elmira. I believe this because I've had to wrestle with this. The last 20 years I've had to really unpack It has taken a long time to unpack my faulty concepts of God. I I have seen great good news, but I was so entrenched and the tentacles of false thinking were so ingrained in me, it took a long time just to get one tentacle out and there's still another four left. Oh, but then another one comes out and I don't know how many are left. I'm still unlearning. So don't give up. There's more to learn. And we're going to connect more and more with one another and discover God's love is even further reaching than we were told or believe. That's the kind of hope I have. I think that's why we're called Hope Fellowship because we're seeing a more hope-filled perspective on who God is and how we see these scriptures. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your grace. And if anyone is questioning whether separation from you is a possibility, I pray that you reveal to them it's an impossible thing. I pray you do it in a loving, kind, gentle way, in a compassionate way. Holy Spirit, continue to teach us. Reveal Christ in us more and more so that when we look at other people, we see the revealed Christ in them. Hmm. 
We see no one after the flesh anymore, after the ego. May that become, well, it is our default, but may we live from that default and rediscover it. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, reminders. Online donations. Join us next Sunday. Looking forward to that. And if you're not on our email list, uh, send me a note and we'll get you added on. A um, couple more hellos. Uh, we got uh, Abram Clausen, good morning. And uh, uh, Jen Nye, good morning. Cheryl Horn, hey, good morning. Miss you guys too. Cecil from Texas, good morning. Cindy writes, thank you for the confirmation that I've been taught. I was starting to doubt and not anymore. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> this, is, this is, we can't hear this enough. So look forward to seeing you next week. One more week on who God is, a better perspective. And I uh, look forward to that. See you then. Thanks. Bye-bye.